Welcome to Growing Unicorns, where every week, Holly Chen and me, Karina Edwards, come together with some fun guest hosts at a live interactive discussion where we unpack stories from the trenches while we're working with some of the fastest growing unicorns today. All right, Growing Unicorns, episode six. We have Adam Goyette and we have Holly here. Adam, I would love for you to intro to the audience and just tell us a little bit about your career path. Yeah, definitely. Thanks. I'm Adam. I currently work at a company called Help Scout. They do help desk software for SMBs, mid-markets. I've been here for the last two years leading the marketing team. Prior to that, I worked at a company called G2, which I think most people probably are aware of, where I led the growth team there. And so we scaled the demand gen growth team from about five people up to about 20 in my time there. Previously to that, worked at a couple different startups, all kind of in the growth world, demand gen, market innovation for a while, been a practitioner for a long time. That's kind of my background and how I ended up where I am today. I'm super curious, right? Like people say marketing leaders come from two big buckets, generally. People who came from the brand slash product marketing world and people who come from the growth world. Have you seen your job different from like a growth leader versus a marketing leader? Yeah, I think one of the things is you have to consider a lot more outside of like growth, right? (laughs) Whereas I think it almost forces your hand to think more strategically bigger picture in terms of the brand, how you're positioning the product. Whereas if your sole focus is growth, you're almost, I don't say like you're not thinking strategically, but you're thinking more like a salesperson a little bit where it's like, we have a number this quarter. What are we going to do to get there? We're almost worried about next quarter, next quarter. And so I think that evolution and change has been a little bit different. And I think also not viewing everything through growth has been also a shift. So like Help Scout's company that places a lot of value on its brand and its content. And we make a lot of big brand bets that I think will pay off in the long term. But it's sometimes difficult as someone with a growth background to say, what's it doing right now? Where's the immediate return to get on that? And not translating that to like, well, you know, instead of like investing that $500,000 here, we could just put this paid campaign and we could get this out, right? So I think that's been one of the shifts, at least in terms of how you start to think about marketing. And who are some of the key hires, like knowing that you're going to lean this way? Like who are some of the key hires that you make immediately when you join a team? So I think still growth drives the engine, right? Because ultimately, you could build the most amazing brand in the world. And if we're missing our revenue targets, brand isn't going to help shield me (laughs) from losing my job, right? So to me, it's still about growth people first. And depending on the different stage of the startup. So like when I joined Help Scout, there was a marketing team of five. We're up to about 22 right now. We've grown the team a lot. I think one of the big areas was really focusing on the growth team and building out a team that is focused on these sorts of things. So about 70% of our revenue comes from product-led, right? Where it's someone signing up for a free trial and converting and stuff like that. And we really were reliant on like one or two channels, organic and direct. And our content, most of the company and marketing had been built on content. So expanding that to say like, hey, we need to diversify the mix here because otherwise you're just at the mercy of Google algorithm update, which could crush our numbers. And so... I think that was one of the big areas of focus for me when I first came in. It was like, let's get the growth team kind of going. And then we continue to scale out content and then obviously add product marketing and ops and all those sorts of things. How do you actually think about educating or advocating for something that's less measurable, like the content or the brand side of things? I think the overall thing with marketing, it's like that, I don't know who's got the shirt where it's like marketing attribution is made up, but it is kind of made up. In terms of like everyone tries to pin it to one channel or a second channel, the reality is 
how people find out about things varies so greatly. And it's average eight touch points or whatever that number is now where they listen to a podcast and then maybe they see a blog post and then they finally convert off of a paid ad. And if you're a matter made, you're going to say, look, oh, we got this ad for paid. And it's like, you did technically, but it came from all these other things. And so I'm a big fan of just looking at basically, are we hitting some of these revenue targets or like whatever your target is, if it's pipeline or whatever you're responsible for. And like looking at that as a whole, and then looking at your campaign spend kind of as a whole and say like, what's that ratio? What does that look like? Because I think then it's like, this might be a softer metric where I can't measure the direct outcome of it, right? But I have a feeling and just know it kind of is impacting that. And so it's hard to justify that outside of just having like a CEO who's reasonable, having those conversations and be like, well, the big thing I always do is just translate it back to their own buying experiences. Or the last thing I bought is not because I went online and filled out an ad search, you know, whatever tool and immediately converted on a Google ad. I usually would talk to other marketers, like I think Holly, you know, when you were at Slack, you and I met in person and chatted on the phone a couple of times. And I would always ask you, what tech stack are you using? What are you using for this? What are you using for that? And then I would go research and talk to two other marketers and ask you about it. And then I would listen to the company's podcast. And then I would like sign up for a demo. When you can translate that into, you know, a CEO's buying experience or whoever you're trying to justify it to, I think that's the easiest way. It's just like, look at the way you buy yourself. You know, it's not that obvious of a journey. Yeah. I think it really does come down to like the buy-in of the CEO and for them, whether they have a good understanding of how marketing works or just understanding like consumer buying behavior and letting you do what you know will work. I've seen companies where they get stuck on like every dollar in has to have a dollar out outcome. And when you get there, it just becomes stagnant because you're not doing the things that are going to actually make your cat go down because you have a well-known brand and things like that. Well, also it's so crowded right now. There's so many companies out there doing whatever it might be. So I can help desk. There's like 300 companies listed on G2 under the category of help desk software. 300, right? They're all going after the same personas, same people. And so it's like a little bit, if you're a startup and you're running the exact same playbook as everyone else, you're going to get very basic results, right? And so I think that's also the other way to justify it. It's like, we're just doing the same thing all 300 other companies are where we have the same playbook and the same creative. We don't take chances. We're not going to really be able to be the market leader, right? Like if you look at people and companies that are known, and I feel like CEOs like to point out, why can't we more like X brand or this brand or that? And it's like, well, here's some of the stuff they're doing that maybe looks genius now. But when they probably first rolled out the idea, it was probably like, what? Why would we do that? Right? Like, where's the ROI? So I think part of it's just having a CEO who can give you that leeway to make those bets. One of the key roles of a marketing leader is to prioritize. And especially relatively earlier or growth stage companies, and you have limited resource and limited time and also budget. When you think about the different channels or different strategies of everything that marketing can do, how do you think about allocating resources or prioritizing what to focus on? I think the first thing is alignment in terms of like what is the goal or end outcome, right? So like if in six months or a year from now, X was to be true, am I going to be celebrated? Is this a big win for the company? And so once you know that North Star outcome, it helps you, I think, identify the things you should prioritize, right? And so I think a lot of times startups at early stages kind of suffer from this syndrome of like, we should be doing everything. Or you have marketing teams getting yo-yoed around because the CEO might be like, hey, why aren't we doing this? Or this company's doing this. They're doing webinars. They have a podcast. Why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we doing that? So a lot of times, I was just talking to someone the other day who's going to be reporting to a CEO the first time. 
And my advice to him was put everything onto a slide of what you could possibly do with the headline of this is not a marketing strategy. Because the reality is you could probably be a team of three people. You could probably only do three of these things. So let's align, say like if the number one thing that's going to be successful for us is for me generating pipeline or for me to build awareness, whatever it is, here are the three things I think that would help us impact that the most. And then I think it's very clear what your priorities become. And as you grow the team, that expands and expands and becomes like team specific. The truth still kind of remains, but people need to own an end outcome. And then they kind of like decide as they're prioritizing what they should be doing, right? If the way I measure the person who manages their social media accounts is number of impressions, they're probably going to run the account very differently than if I suddenly said tomorrow, the number way I'm judging you and your performance at work is by looking at how many trials you generate through social. Two very different behaviors, right? Not say like one's worse than the other or whatever. I think aligning them to the end outcomes that you want, that you've aligned with the other executives on the team, help you set the priority of what you should be focusing in on. And just to dive a little deeper, how do you think about, shall we do social media or shall we invest more in like a content program or should we have like three copywriters versus, you know, 20 copywriters versus should we invest in paid media? So from like bigger bucket, allocation or like team building or initiative planning perspective, how do you actually get that? Yeah. So I think one of the big things is creating like MVP versions of things, right? So I think too often people over-engineer. ABM is a great example of this. So many marketers are like, we're going to do ABM. So we need to sign up with Sentoso. We need metadata. We need all these tools in place to start doing ABM. You actually don't need any tools. <laughs> you need to pick 100 accounts and then let's like pick five tactics or five things you want to start doing and start doing it before you start investing in things. Then once you're showing traction, it's very easy to say like, hey, we targeted these 100 accounts. We were able to book meetings with the CMOs of 20 of them. 10 of them are opportunities and you know we've closed five of them already. And here's the spend versus here's the outcome. We want to scale this program now across all of our different verticals or whatever it might be, right? And then you can go back to your marketing leader if you're in charge of running the AVM program and say like, here's what I want to do. Here's the investment I want to make and here's the return. Because then you have a much clearer outcome of what that would be. So I think that's how you get like bigger picture kind of stuff done is like, what's the MVP version to test out the theory? Because the reality is if you're a marketer, you're guessing. I actually don't know. I've seen like, everyone says this is like ad creative. You like put out ad creative. It's like, the image that works best, you're like, wow, that's the one people are clicking on? Like, why? <laughs> right? Like, it's just this weird thing. And so you just don't know until you start actually putting things in market. One of the big things is like, how quickly can you test? And the speed at which you can go is really critical because it helps you identify where you have potential like winners quicker. The more winners that you can then scale up is one of the key ways, I think, for startups to kind of view that. So early stage startups, I think it's all about how quickly can you test and learn what channels might work or not work for you? Yeah. And I think that's a little bit of the magic of the type of marketer that you end up being, right? It's like you have all of these different inputs and variables, and then how do you choose to piece those together? And I absolutely like cannot stand it when people claim a certain playbook for a certain thing, right? Like there truly is not. And if there was, like we all wouldn't really have jobs. And so I think really the magic is in identifying, okay, there are all these different pieces, like how are they going to fit for our puzzle? And then, yeah, like 
being a persuasive enough leader, marketing leader to say whether it might not be able to be quantitative, here's the ROI on the specific thing. So like take like a podcast, for example, right? Okay, I can't tell you like how many dollars specifically came from this one podcast episode. But I can tell you that in the last 3 weeks of doing this, I've gained 100 registrants. And of those 100, 50% or more of these are within our ICP. These are people that are potential buyers of ours listening to our podcast of us being thought leaders about this specific thing. And so I think half of being like a marketing leader is being persuasive, believing in what pieces you're putting together enough to be able to qualitatively or quantitatively, however, prove there is traction and not being convinced that there is some secret playbook that you're just not unlocking yet. It's like yeah. testing, learning, trying different pieces in different ways. Also, I think too, is once you do that and you scale up a couple of things, you then get the leeway to make those bigger bets, right? So you're kind of proving out like, oh, okay, yeah. I think most CEOs and CFOs will really appreciate like a thoughtful approach to be like, I don't need a half a million dollars for us to start ABM. We might be at that point in a year, but right now I just need $10,000 a person to get this program going. And then we'll see if it can scale, right? And so I also think the more you can build that in, it allows you to take, and you and your team take more bets and not have like some big fear of failing because I didn't lose a million dollars on this thing. We tested it out and it didn't work. So let's move on to the next one really quickly. You can just kind of forget where it's like, you know, if you do have those giant mistakes and big swings and you miss two in a row, like that's probably not the best feeling in the world. Adam, now you've been on the job for two years and you build the team from five people to 22 people. What were some of the things that surprised you and some of the lessons you learned that you wish you did or didn't do when you first took the job in the first three or six months for the rest of the audience who's taking on leadership roles? I learned probably more of those lessons when I was at G2, to be honest with you, because that was the first time I really scaled a team to the size. The management team at G2 went from, I think, like three people up to almost 20 people. And so we grew that team pretty aggressively. And so luckily for Health Scout, I probably learned more of those hard lessons there. I think the biggest thing is really like setting your team up for success, right? And giving them the space to be creative. No one wants to be told, here's what I want you to do. Here's the ABM playbook. At the end of the day, I think marketers, it's a craft. And the thing that most people enjoy is figuring out the problem solving to say, like, what is going to work here? Whether that be on the creative or the copy or whatever it might be. As a leader, you can't take that away from people by being like, here's what I think we should be doing. And here's exactly the playbook I want to be doing, right? It's more about aligning people to the goals and then saying, like, I don't care how we get there. Come up with five ideas and I'll work with you on like figuring it out. But let's figure it out together and get there. And so I think that was one of the things that was like a big unlock because then you have people feeling way more ownership of like, oh, I own this like ABM strategy. Like I could do whatever I want with it. That's exciting, right? And so from a career standpoint, they get to learn a ton of things. They enjoy the work that they're doing more and you just get better results. But as a leader, it's more about keeping, I think, the teams and the individuals feeling like the work they're doing still tied into the bigger goal and making sure they have that understanding of the how it rolls up, which is one of the big keys, I think. So I think that's the biggest thing because it's very easy to want to just jump in and be like, here's what I think we should be doing for this campaign. And even though you might not mean it to feel like this, like I'm telling you what to do, if you're the other person sitting there, it probably feels like I'm telling you what to do, right? So just understanding your role in all those conversations because it's a weird switch to go from, I'm just on the team giving ideas to 
now I'm a leader on the team and I'm giving ideas that carries a different weight because it's like a lot of people just assume like, oh, he's telling me this is the campaign we should be running. This is what we're going to do, right? And so not doing that to people is a big thing. Such a good point is like having choice helps people to have innate motivations, regardless how the choice look like and how it's structured. But like simply having choice itself is a big motivator versus extrinsic motivation. Well, I think the other thing too, you know, there's no shortage of jobs for people, actually growth marketers or marketers in general. So I also think it just keeps people happier of what they want to do and they get to learn and they can try things. And the reality is 20 people on my team making decisions is better than just me making decisions because they're all better at what their own individual areas of expertise than I am. I just have a little bit of knowledge of all of it. That's yeah. the only reason. Love just having a team in general and empowering people to be like, you are the expert in this thing, not me. And that is why you're on this team, right? Like, so how do we collectively bring our brains together to be a greater power than just myself in one seat? And also just coming up through the ranks as being like that generalist Jill of all trades marketer who was like a team of one every once in a while. Like it's so much nicer to have a team that you can empower to say, hey, here's our end goal. Here's how it marries to the North Star goal for the company do what you think is going to hit that part of it, right? And I will be here to support you if you're feeling like you're hitting blockers or what have you. But for me, I'm always like, I want to be surrounded by a team that feels smarter than me, right? Like, why would you want a team that you just have to tell what to do? So it empowers everyone at the table. I'm literally the worst marketer at Help Stop. (laughs) I say that not even joking. I'm the worst marketer we have because they are all so much better at their craft than I am. Like the writers, our designers, obviously, our growth marketers, they're all better than me at what I do, right? Which is amazing to see. But yeah, I'm the worst marketer. That's what I tell them. (laughs) How do you structure your marketing team? What's the big buckets do you have? So we have growth as one big bucket and they're responsible for like free trials and leads in the mid-market for the sales team. We have product marketing. We have our brand team, which is design and dev. And then we have our content team. And marketing ops used to be on the marketing side. It's now rolled up under RevOps, which is in finance with sales ops as well. But those are the big buckets that we have. Oh, so you have design and developers slash engineers reporting into the brand team. Yep. Tell me more about that. Like, There's different philosophies of Oh, should they report into their respective design team, product team, engineering team? How did you think about it? Yeah, it's been a bit of an evolution since I joined. HealthScout's unique in terms of like two of our founders are designers. And so the value on design at HealthScout is probably greater than most typical SaaS companies, right? And so like we do custom illustrations for all our blog posts. Like it's a really big part of what our brand identity is. And design previously sat under a wonderful leader that we had. And it was product design and brand design under like a full design team. She had since parted ways with the company and moved on to something else. And so we split it. Brand design moved into marketing and then started sitting with developers who we had doing the work. And then product design is the product now. And so we have the two separate teams, but they still work pretty closely together. And I think the big thing there is like any creative team, right? Making sure they have the space and it doesn't feel like in-house agency, like where we're just telling them what to do. Because I think brand is such a big part of what we do and how we can really differentiate ourselves in the market. Because a lot of companies, you look at like companies' websites, to their positioning, to the ads they're running, they all kind of look the same. And so I think one of the big areas that we see as an opportunity is like we can use brand as one of our big 
advantages in terms of standing out, which is just a big part of even just being successful. It's like, just make yourself look different. You're probably a lot of the ways there from what everyone else is doing. You'll just feel different. You'll look different. So I think that's a big piece of how the brand team kind of operates is and making sure we give them the space to kind of have that creative ability. How about development team? Yeah, so they're on there as well. We have three developers actually. So we have our main Help Scout site. We have In the Works, which is our founder-focused content site that we're running. And we have our blog. So right now, we added two because we just had one developer until the fall. So we just added two in the fall. We're going to figure out like lanes because one of the things we're thinking through is like they're all doing a little bit of everything right now. It doesn't make more sense that one developer just focused in on gross projects so they can just run and prioritize a little bit quicker because what we're finding now is like the developers have to balance a request to update something on the blog for the design team versus a request from the growth team on a test they want to run. They're both important, but like they're in a weird spot where they're prioritizing across different teams and stuff like that. So probably going to define swim lanes a little bit better for the development team. That's a key thing. And speaking of like swim lanes and growth, how do you guys think about product growth versus marketing growth and who manages what? Yeah, we work really closely with our product growth team. I guess technically, it's really blurred, the lines. Because it's like the sign-up flow is marketing. Once they get into the product, the onboarding is the product growth team. But then like the emails going to the user are from marketing. So it's kind of just working really close to them and making sure we're leaning really heavily into the data to understand what are people doing once they get into the product and what are the actions that we want them to be doing, what drives the highest conversion. And we're just constantly looking at like our trial to paid numbers by channels and sources. And is there one key value prop that's driving a certain behavior? Like if they're coming in off of a live chat functionality and the first thing they see in the product is a shared inbox, are we seeing conversions deteriorate there? And so I think that the biggest thing there is just working really closely together and understanding what the other hand's doing because if the end outcome at the end of the day is customers, right? And so if we change something in the way we're positioning or what we're leading with, that could drop our trial to paid conversion percentages. And they might be thinking it's something in the product when in reality, it just could be marketing is now leading with the wrong message or they could change something in the email. So there's lots of like information there. And I think the big thing is making sure we're just always looking at the same set of data because that's the big thing. Yeah. So in terms of swim lanes, have you always had marketing ops roll up to RevOps? No, it was under marketing before. And so Eli, who heads up our RevOps team, used to work on the marketing team. So... I think it's awesome. We hired someone in and we hired a sales ops person in. But I think there's good alignment. I think the big thing with a product like company, it's nice to have like a third party because we do have sales to consider. We have all this sort of data. And I think one of the things is like you can skew data to look any which way you want. It's nice to have like Switzerland over there to say, like, hey, can you tell us what's actually happening here? Can you do an analysis of this? Because like we were just talking about this today, like product tours. We have an interactive product tour. Is that impacting the demo experience? And our sales leaders like, I feel like it is. I'm not sure why, but like, feels like we're not getting as rich of conversations. And I'm of the camp of like, well, I think that's great. I would assume the quality would improve because they can interact with the product more. But again, it's like, let's let the data side and dig in there versus sales ops coming with their data and my marketing ops team coming with my data. I feel like we're all on the same page a little bit more that way. Totally. This has been really great, Adam, since we first connected and we're both working a lot in growth and now expanding our scope in a holistic way to drive marketing. So it's really good to reconnect and hear your new learnings in the past few years. Yeah, I still remember I've randomly 
reached out to Holly when she was at Slack. You weren't a customer yet at G2, but I was like, hey, I would just love to know exactly how the Slack growth engine works. Like, would you be up for chatting with me? And she was like, sure. And so I picked her brain for like an hour on the phone call. Then next time I was in the Bay Area, I was like, hey, can I take you out to lunch? <laughs> I can do it again. And she was like, okay. <laughs> I've been slow stalking Holly and her growth for a while. I learned so much from you, Adam. It's so great to see your career grow. And I would love to keep in touch and continue to learn from you. Yeah, thank you. Well, I love this. And if I ever go to the Bay Area, Holly, I'm going to offer up some boba. But was the way to Holly's heart. And Adam, where are you based out of? I'm in Chicago. Wow. And then in Chicago, we'll definitely have to go to lunch. So this will just be full circle. Yes. Just don't come in February. It's not that great out. (laughs) (laughs) All right, y'all. Well, thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening. And we'll be on next week. 